Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The biggest Sunday of the year is finally here as the Los Angeles Rams go head-to-head with the New England Patriots in Atlanta and Podcast One Sportsnet's got your game day coverage. Tune in to the Rich Eisen Show and the Dan Patrick Show for your daily game day analysis from the most iconic sports casters around as RJ Bell of RJ Bell's Dream Preview and the host of the big podcast Shaquille O'Neal come at you live on the ground for the best game day coverage available. Download these shows and more each week on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, and unsurprisingly, this episode starts out with the reporting on Monday, the news that Anthony Davis has not only said he will not sign an extension with the New Orleans Pelicans, but has also requested a trade. We go through that in detail, a bunch of different angles, suitors, timing, everything else like that. But then we also discuss the Marcus Mike Connolly situation in Memphis, uh, an interesting interview that Ben had with Magic Johnson, including his perspective on the current Warriors team and his suggested improvements for the three-point contest. So go in a lot of different directions in about an hour. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus and our friends at TrueCar. Great place to sell and trade in your car. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Danny, as always. How are you? Doing well. I mean, I'm, for personal reasons, extremely thankful that the AD reporting came out on Monday morning, considering we were about to record the mock season podcast, and it made it a lot more timely, let's put it that way. But also because my expectation with Davis was that this story was going to happen, but it was all going to play out in June and July. And I think... Well, we could talk about for the Pelicans, but overall, just for where the league is going and everything else, I think it's better that he was open enough to have this conversation before the deadline, because now the Pelicans have more options, even if they end up waiting. I tend to think that transparency in these types of situations is better for everybody, but I think selfishly, it's much better for me because I was worried I was losing my mind, Danny. I was watching these Pelicans games. I was seeing Anthony Davis's stat line. I was watching where they were in the standings, and I was just thinking over and over, am I missing something? Why isn't this guy saying that he wants a trade? Because what's the point? It's such a fruitless existence and I understand like the comparisons to Kevin Garnett and the value of loyalty and all of that but I kept looking at Anthony Davis as basically the NBA's best untapped resource I think he's 15th right now in jersey sales I think he was 12th in all-star fan votes he doesn't have a signature sneaker I mean this guy's career is kind of dying on the vine and I realized that like that's a little melodramatic you know he's still a top six talent uh you know he's he's still going to get all NBA uh honors and all-star honors and all that stuff but this guy should be a much much bigger star than than he is and the fact that he finally was willing to kind of take this step in his career I think it's the best thing that he's ever done I think he bent over backwards uh, to try to make it work down there in New Orleans. And and I was pleasantly surprised there didn't seem to be a ton of backlash yesterday in terms of, oh, what are you doing? To me, it it mostly seemed like, all right, well, what's the best fits for him rather than criticizing him for his decision? And to me, that's how it should be, Uh, because the Pelicans, whether through mismanagement, the coaching changes, uh, the injuries around him on the roster never truly set him up for success. They never helped him sort of 
breakthrough like we all expected when he first came uh, to the NBA, you know, in 2012. And I mean, remember when he was on that Olympic team before he had even played in the NBA? I mean, we thought this guy was going to be owning basketball, you know, three years down the line. And instead, we've come seven years later and, and he's still trying to make his first conference finals. And for that reason, I was just glad to see yesterday's news. It, it confirmed to me not only my suspicions about how he felt his career is going, but also uh, that he realized it's time for the next step. A moment that I thought was really clarifying here was when I was watching them early in the season, or yeah, a couple, you know, like maybe a month or so in, and when Alfred Payton got hurt, they looked a lot worse. And every team deals with injuries, large and small, over the course of a season. And if your team is so shallow that an injury to Alfred Payton <laughs> sidetracks your season, then there are some real problems there. And I do have some sympathy. Well, beyond, I have a ton of sympathy for for the Pelicans fans and all that. But there's a hard part about this as somebody who's a, a GM, you know, CBA nerd, that the worst moves the Pelicans made during the AD era were early rather than late. So going through, like I'm sure some people are rehashing the Cousins trade and, and a lot of other things, the worst parts of what they did were in those first couple of years when they were trading away first-round picks for guys that they eventually had to overpay and all that kind of stuff. Since then, they I think they've done a better job overall. Not a perfect job, but a better job. But th that's not really what matters. You look at the overall picture, and the Pelicans are not particularly competitive. They could. I mean, I still love this team's ceiling. I think that they could win a series or two if they were healthy and got the right matchups like they did with, with Portland last year when they completely outclassed them. But players are allowed to define success and choose their own future. And it is completely justifiable for Anthony Davis to have seen even the last three years and gone, this is not what I want to do for the remainder of my prime. Absolutely. And your point on the injuries is great. How many injuries have the Warriors had over the last four seasons? Every single guy on their roster, basically, from Steph on down, KD, Clay, Draymond, has missed time. But when they miss time, it's not like, oh, no, our season's going to fall apart. Or if like the ninth guy on the roster, you know, happens to miss two weeks, it's not like, well, oh I'll, man. I'll now go beyond that. Let's yeah. look. At, let's look at the Cavs with Kyrie and Kevin Love and all them. I mean, the Warriors, you could call them a super team, and I don't want to necessarily hold them to that standard. But teams like Cleveland, like Denver this year, Denver this year has missed like half their team and a lot of their best players. They were able to survive that, and the Pelicans have plenty of talent. Drew stayed remarkably healthy other than in the last couple of years, other than the time that he missed due to a, a non-basketball, you know, a non-basketball thing pulling him off the floor. And yet they're still not able to keep it together. Absolutely. But the reason why I think the Warriors is actually a fair comparison is because Anthony Davis thinks of himself as the best player in basketball. He wants to own the league, right? He wants to be the biggest star in the game. And he wants to have a window here where much like Kevin Durant a few years ago, where he wants to ha you know stack up the big time accomplishments titles, finals, MVPs, and things like that. And you have to compare yourself to the best in those situations. So whether it's the, the Warriors and what they've been able to do managing injuries, whether it's the Cavaliers and how they did it, uh, you could just tell that you're on a completely different level in terms of the structure and support uh, that the Pelicans organization offered to him down there. And that just winds up putting this whole stress uh, on not only Davis, but everybody around him too, right? Uh, you know, if you're feeling like you can't miss time because the whole season is going to fall apart or 
you're feeling like you have to go into overdrive if a Cousins goes down and you've got to average basically, you know, 35 and 18 practically to get them home to the playoffs. I mean, that really takes its toll. And as we've seen, saving players from that level of burden winds up paying huge dividends in the playoffs. And I think, you know, Anthony Davis is is ready for that. It's not like he needs to be protected or have his minutes limited in some major way or anything like that. But he should be playing smarter rather than harder at this stage of his career so that he can keep this thing going for, you know, another 10 seasons rather than, uh, you know, having those miles kind of accumulate uh, once he reaches 30. So to me, it's just a smart time to find a situation with more help uh, to find the right, uh, you know, superstar to kind of pair him with. I never loved that boogie fit uh, down in New Orleans. I think they, they made it work, but it wasn't perfect. And I think this opportunity where declaring that you want to trade allows Anthony Davis and Rich Paul to go superstar shopping a little bit. It allows them to think, okay, what is the best pairing or the best team framework to set him up so that Anthony Davis can you know fully flourish and become the, the, the player he wants to be? And that's what's so intriguing to me about the Lakers fit. You know, I, I think the the idea of him with LeBron, uh, it, it opens your eyes. It raises your eyebrows. It gets you pretty excited because we've seen what Anthony Davis could do with a point guard like Rajon Rondo. Uh, you start using him, uh, you know, as the, the finisher on some LeBron uh, pick and rolls, and it's just going to be a highlight reel, uh, you know, play after play, night after night, uh, if that's where he winds up landing. That's a really good point, and the the wear and tear is a very real consideration. And remember what he's going through this to get. This isn't to secure a championship or anything like that. This is to make it into the playoffs. And the 82-game grind is a very real thing for players. So... I, I totally get it from that perspective. And, and something that we're going to need to keep an eye on, it sounds from the reporting on Tuesday that we might be getting the first inklings of this is that one of the ways players can influence their destination, they can't, they can't dictate it in this sort of a case, is by putting it out there publicly, privately, however they want to do it, that only certain teams have certain benefits. And so this is the case in kind of the Kyrie circumstance. He said, these are the teams that I'm more interested in sticking with long-term. Could even be a circumstance where you say, I'm only willing to sign an extension, or I'm only willing to sign as a free agent with Team X. And just like was the case with Kawhi Leonard, the trading team is totally within the right to take the best package, whether it's offered by somebody within that that sphere or otherwise. But the idea behind that, and this is what I also said about the Jimmy Butler trade, is that the reason a player does that is to try to lower the offers of everyone else so that the teams that he wants to go to look better by comparison. Yeah, I mean, we could tell from New Orleans' statement yesterday that they are worried that they're trying to be forced or steered into a Lakers trade, right? I mean, you don't come out and bring up this whole tampering conversation in your statement about Anthony Davis's uh, trade request unless you feel like you're not necessarily dealing with a level playing field. But when I look at what the Lakers have to author, offer Anthony Davis, first of all, I think the only better situation for Davis in the league, clearly better than the Lakers, uh, would be the Warriors. And I think the way they've played here since the Cousins' uh, return suggests to me that they don't want to tamper with things. They don't want to do the kind of, you know, blow up type trade, you know, to, to take apart that core. 
that would be required to bring Anthony Davis in. So if the Warriors are not in the t- uh, in the conversation, I look at the Lakers. First of all, he would be top two, three in jersey sales if he goes to the Lakers. Uh, his sneaker opportunities, you've got to think, would be significantly greater if he's not only playing in L.A., but on the Lakers and with LeBron James. They would have a path to the Western Conference Finals immediately. I mean, they would have a real case uh, to be able to close strong during the regular season and, you know, be in that dream, you know, Western Conference Finals matchup with Golden State. Now, that series might go in four or five games, but that would certainly be significant progress for Anthony Davis in terms of his career. He would have someone to teach him how to win in LeBron James, quote unquote, teach him how to win, just like Dwayne Wade once did with LeBron. He would have a lead ball handler uh, who would take some of the pressure off him on offense, but also set him up for the easy kind of stuff that he loves to get uh, around the hoop. Uh, and that he would be playing in an up and down style, much like he was playing in New Orleans. So there wouldn't be a, you know, a real major uh, stylistic shift there too. That's a pretty compelling package. Even if LA has to like empty the coffers to, you know, send back a lot of their prospects and future draft picks. Not only is that good in the short term, but then you also have that base of LeBron plus AD to now try to go out and fill out your rotation going forward this summer uh, and into the future. And you've got this platform for Davis to sort of grow throughout his late 20s in L.A. in the biggest media market. You know, one thing that's frustrated me about Anthony Davis is his game has evolved. His body has evolved, you know, in terms of where he was five years ago to where he is now. But his branding has not evolved at all. It's the same, you know, unibrow kind of goofiness. He doesn't have that publicly visible face. You look at the all-star votes, guys like Giannis, Joel Embiid, uh, Luka Doncic, they're all younger than Davis, and yet they're getting more fan votes because they've got more interaction and kind of a bigger profile than Davis has. I think he needs a jump start not only on the basketball court, but off the court as well. And I think if I'm looking at the Lakers, they're able to offer those things, uh, you know, better than most franchises. I'm curious, is there a situation that you've seen uh, of a team that could trade for him before the deadline that could put together a better overall uh, pitch to Davis than what I just sort of laid out on behalf of the Lakers? Depending on what he wants and what he prioritizes, I would be really interested in Toronto as a potential offer. I mean, so they can, I think they could give New Orleans a better package personally. It might just be that I like their players better. But the idea that, that Toronto could do, depending on what they're willing to throw in the deal, this gets into things like Serge Ibaka and some of the other combinations. Toronto has a big benefit playing in the Eastern Conference. And that's, it's not just, oh, hey, we have a really clear path to making the conference finals. It's depending on who they include in the trade, we can make the NBA finals and we have a decent shot in them. And theoretically, depending on what Kawhi Leonard chooses to do, they could have a pretty damn good shot of doing it next year too. And who knows, the Warriors might be significantly weaker at that point. So there's a chance that Toronto walks into the 2019-20 season as the title favorites. And that is really interesting. Now, what you brought up in terms of AD's personal brand and his shoes and all that presumably would be much weaker. We already have the issue that since Toronto is not in the United States, they do not get as many United States national TV games, and that hurts profile for for a bunch of different reasons. But on the court, I think their case is better. And then I agree with you that if we're talking kind of more holistically, the Knicks don't have nearly as good an argument for a couple different reasons. One is ownership is significantly worse, even if you want to talk about all the the mis- adventures of the early bus children era. A lot of those are are in the past. Different people are running the the basketball side now. A lot of other things are, are in play. 
And also because the Lakers are in a much better place overall. Now, you can make an argument that the margin between those two could shift depending on how this trade happened, and they would have the capacity to add another player on top, maybe even somebody who fits Anthony Davis's the age part of his development a little bit better. But so on-court Toronto overall, depending on what he values, and I'm guessing AD appreciates the other part of it, that the on-court margin is smaller than the off-court margin, so then that would go towards your case overall. Yeah, I, I hear you on Tur- Toronto. I mean, you were getting me um, salivating over here at the idea of, of what they could put on the court. You know, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, these risky moves by Masai Ujiri, do they pay off in the postseason? I mean, that would be uh, pretty phenomenal. I think that would be my favorite, you know, rental destination for him. Um, but I also think, you know, this if he is intent on going to the Lakers, do you believe he can scare off a team like Toronto? Um, or do you think that there's... Uh, enough. I, I, I don't know. Toronto's at this like kind of crossroads moment, right? Where they're kind of all in. They want to make it work this season. They've got to prove to Kawhi. Uh, they've got to prove to their fans that they can do it. They've got to prove to Lowry that they can do it. I can absolutely see them being really motivated. But if, you know, Rich Paul in, in uh, you know, the whisper campaign picks up and says, look, do not trade for him. Basically, he doesn't want to play for you. Do you think that uh, Masai would be able to overrule that and pull the trigger. I do think that Masai would be able to do it, but the whole point of that is it might maybe it reduces their capacity to offer everything. You know, that kind of kitchen sink offer, if it's just temporary, the, actually the most important way that Toronto's offer might end up getting reduced would be if some sort of inkling happened where Kawhi Leonard said it didn't matter that much to him. And granted, he might also just not be in this conversation or whatever, that it might not make him that much more likely to resign. You know, that is one of the big rationales behind trading for AD is the possibility that even if AD leaves, you secure the commitment of Kawhi Leonard. And if for whatever reason they can be dissuaded of that part of the thought process, then that could lower their offer. But the reason why Toronto is compelling, paralleling the Kawhi offer, remember, the only pieces of their kind of real young asset core that went in the Kawhi deal were Yaka Pertl, who's who's a good player. I'm, I'm happy with how he's doing with Spurs and everything else. And their own first round pick this year, which is going to be a weak first round pick because they're really, really good. Siakam is in the conversation most improved player. OG Ananobi is still really intriguing, even though this has been a disappointing season for him. They have all these other young guys that are that are good. I mean, you could talk about how Fred Van Vliet or DeLon Wright or even Norman Powell, though his contract is a little bit prohibitive. Like, they could put together, and if then if you throw into it, and this is, I think, the, the cherry on top of a Toronto offer, if Dell Demps and the Pelicans have a specific concept of what they want, is that guys like Valanciunas, when he comes back, or Serge Ibaka, they would really help the Pelicans over the next two years. And so this year and next. So I don't think that the Lakers can scare off the Raptors, but they could scare the Raptors off of their best offer, and then that makes the Lakers look a little bit better, actually probably a lot better, especially considering the Celtics are unavailable. Plenty more to get into with Ben Golliver, but first message from betonline.ag. It is the final week of the NFL season, and the biggest game of the year is just days away. Rams versus Patriots in Atlanta for the Super Bowl this Sunday, an incredible matchup. And as we've been saying since the NFL's opening weekend all the way back in September through now, there's only one place here at Podcast One that has all of the action you're looking for, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account on betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus, which is fantastic. If you've missed out before jumping on the NFL action, you have one game left. Also, they do great 
in-game action if you're looking for that as well. And the best way to do it, go to betonline.ag, use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Rams vs. Patriots, Super Bowl in Atlanta this Sunday, most exciting game of the year. Don't miss out at betonline.ag. And then the other part of this that I'm really interested in from New Orleans, well, from New Orleans' perspective, there are two different things that we should discuss. One is, what do they want most? Because they're going to have a lot of different offers. They're going to get offers from probably something like 25 to 29 other teams in the league. What, you know, you could say that there are going to be certain offers that are unequivocally better than others, but parts of it are going to be eye of the beholder. Brandon Ingram is a great example of this. Or what would is, how would they feel about a CJ McCollum-based offer? You know, all those sorts of things. But then the second part of it is, where do they want to go with this? You know, because if they want to be a win-now team, you know, Drew Holiday, maybe maybe they can, they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, but they want to go for next year, then the Lakers offer is probably less intriguing. But I disagree with that approach, and so if they're a little bit more honest about it, then the Lakers offer looks a lot better. And then, oh, that's the other thing. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. How do they approach the waiting? Because the Celtics are on the, on the table now. The Celtics offer will probably be very strong when they have the capacity to do it, even maybe if AD doesn't resign or says he won't. But almost everybody else's offer, other than probably the Lakers, gets worse. And so how do they balance those two forces? Yeah, um, I think if I was, it's really hard to put yourself in Dell Demps' head because some of these moves, it's just like, what was he thinking? So that part, in terms of piecing together his track record and what he's going to do in this situation is very difficult. If I was in that situation, though, the value of finality in terms of just turning the page, moving forward and having a clear direction after, you know, a couple of years here of constantly changing the pieces, sort of being in a frantic push to appease AD, but not having it really work, not generating that positive momentum, uh, that finality would be very, very valuable to me. I would be very enticed if I was a front office to just say, look, we're going to sell out uh, Anthony Davis for the best offer we can get from the Lakers. We're going to trade off Julius Randle and Miritich before the deadline. We're going to scale back Drew's minutes. We're going to go into the tank and try to play the Zion Williamson lottery game. Hopefully you're going to have some extra first round picks coming from the Lakers uh, to kind of rejump the the rebuild. Hopefully you can get some more trade assets, whether it's younger players um, or draft picks by trading off some of those veterans. And now you've got the, the young Lakers coming back, plus Drew Holiday, uh, plus, uh, you know, a, a, an overload of, of draft picks to kind of build your thing going forward. That doesn't sound like the worst case scenario to me. It sounds very painful to lose Anthony Davis. You're going to take the hit uh, public relations wise if you trade him, but also double if you trade him to the Lakers. That's not the worst thing in the world. And now you can go into next summer knowing exactly who you are rather than having this loom over the rest of this season and loom over your draft and loom over the start to free agency. And so uh, there's been a couple situations where like with with injured players where the diagnosis doesn't come out. So everybody's just sort of like wondering, hey, is this guy going to come back? Is he not going to come back? What's the deal here? You remember the Kawhi Leonard situation in San Antonio last year? how the, the coaching staff and the players, they're all just kind of paralyzed by like, what's the status here? I think that could be really damaging to a locker room and to a team environment, just not knowing your direction, kind of being waiting in limbo. Um, I think it has, you know, short-term effects in terms of how guys play, but also long-term effects in terms of our guys bought in, you know, do they want to be there? Uh, do they trust the front office and the ownership group and all of that? So 
I would not discount the value of trading early if I was New Orleans. And if I were them, I would be approaching these next, you know, whatever it is, 10 days, aggressively trying to trade it, you know, get, trying to just getting the absolute best packages that you can get lined up, very seriously considering the option. And if something doesn't come available and you feel like you have to wait for that Celtics offer in the summer to kind of boost the market, then so be it. But I don't think they should be sort of uh, you know, halfway approaching the concept of deadlining it or, or feeling like, hey, don't back us into a corner and kind of being all defensive and protective of AD. I think that would be very, very foolish on behalf of their management. One thing that makes me really happy about these negotiations is that the Pelicans do not have that much bad money on their books. You know, Solomon Hill makes too much and he's paid it for next season as well. But this is not going to be a circumstance where one of the definitive considerations is how willing another franchise is to take on bad contracts. And every once in a while that happens and I get really mad about it where it's like, oh, your mismanagement causes you to get a weaker return. That isn't going to be the case here. It is going to be more about what New Orleans wants most. And it ties in with an idea that a lot of armchair GMs, and of course that includes me because I don't have that sort of power, get into in terms of defining themselves and defining their identity. And so you could go to the two extremes or something in the middle ground. So one extreme is not only do you trade Anthony Davis for mostly young pieces, that could be draft picks, it could be young guys, but that leads to the ripple effect of also looking for a Mirosic destination, a Julius Randle destination, and possibly a Drew Holiday destination. That's one extreme. The extreme on the opposite end of it is trying to get veterans, trying to get guys, you know, the primary return is players who can help the team in the near term. Toronto could do an offer like that. And then maybe they go in the middle ground where it's, they get some young, they get some young assets, but they also get players who can compete. And I'm fascinated by that because I talk a lot about, and you and I have had this conversation in free agency about how the human element is what makes basketball, if we want to talk specifically about the NBA, so interesting. In this circumstance, we get the human element that can be Gail Benson, that can be Del Demps, it can be Loomis, any combination of the three, where what they what they prioritize is going to be exceedingly important in terms of what single offer gets chosen, because you can only ever choose one. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Gail Benson, she said recently, we're not going to stand in the way if he doesn't want to be here. Well, Anthony Davis has now told you he doesn't want to be there. So I think, you know, if you do wait, then it starts this whole narrative of like, are you holding him hostage? And it starts to make your franchise look, you know, dysfunctional way that maybe it hasn't in the past. Right. And so, again, there's benefit to just turning the page. You know, it's like the owner said this. We're going by the owner's word and now we're moving forward. Uh, but uh, the, the Celtics, you know, salary cap ability not to not to be able to make a trade offer right now. It, it's kind of hilarious, isn't it? I mean, what a wrinkle uh, to throw on the Pelicans and, and make them feel like, OK, well, you're really only negotiating with like half of your 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 best suitors because of some obscure salary cap regulation. I mean, if I was in the Celtics front office, can you imagine how frustrated they must be right now uh, at the way this is turning out? Well, especially because of how it fits into the other pieces of this, because remember, Boston is lowballed on a lot of these other ones, you know, like with Paul George, it seemed like they weren't as interested that, I mean, granted, it looks like the package the Pacers got is looking a whole lot better than I, I thought it was at the time, Oladipo's current injury notwithstanding, of course. And we've seen that in kind of other circumstances. Obviously, they they ponied up for Kyrie, and that deal looks even better, significantly better from Boston's perspective now than it did then. 
so you kind of have this like I, I think back to like the Justice Winslow thing where it's like oh we you know the Boston offered four first round picks but they didn't make make it happen and so it kind of fits in with that narrative of the Boston over-promising and under-delivering type of thing, which has become like a part of Danny Ainge's rep in these high-wire high, high wire negotiations. So Dell Demps has to be sitting there going, how much do we trust this? They're obviously not, they, they're not beholden to any of this. They can't agree to a deal right now, obviously, for a bunch of different reasons. And so how they yeah, we, feel about it is complicated. We, 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 yeah, we should also point out, you know, Chris Haynes reported that Boston's not exactly on the top of Anthony Davis's right. list, right? So not only is he trying to kind of uh, scare off the rental offers, but I think he's also, you know, there seems like the the mood coming from a Davis's camp is we're trying to scare you off waiting too, right? Like don't exactly. wait and trade Great him to point. Boston because he doesn't really want to be there and he's just going to wind up being a rental for Boston. And again, this is where if you're the Pelicans, this is like the worst possible thing that could happen because this, they're really kind of boxing you into potentially the, the Lakers only as, as your trading partner. And that would be incredibly frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, superstars get to have a lot of say here, don't they? I mean, haven't we learned that? And I also think Davis has accumulated an awful lot of goodwill. If he wanted to make this ugly at any point over the last three or four years, he could have made it really, re- really ugly for them. And he was the best possible soldier the whole way through. I mean, he's never said anything bad about the organization. It's not like you owe it to him to trade him exactly where he wants to go. But I do think you owe it to to like bring him in as an active part of this negotiation, try to feel out what he's looking for in his career and if you can make it happen then you should the way that i think davis is more involved in these negotiations is just by the way that his representation it's probably not gonna be davis himself can express his wishes to other teams and and affect their offers because the problem for the pelicans is they owe it to themselves to take the best offer they can now you it's a great point i'm really happy you brought it up that davis is trying to dissuade them from waiting by you know lowering the celtics relative standing and you know theoretically the celtics offer is you know is going to be could could be strong either way it seems like they really like davis they can make the bet that toronto has done of we're going to do this also you can make an argument that trading for davis let's say in late june they couldn't consummate it then but they could agree to it then would make Kyrie irving more likely to resign and maybe they're going to get at some point desperate about that that was another another element that was interesting i believe that was in chris haynes reporting so boston's desperation on Kyrie could fuel them to giving up more for ad but that gets into one brief thing i wanted to talk about which i find so fascinating which is the possibility that a team this could be toronto it could be someone else acquires anthony davis and then moves him again in july to the celtics or someone else who or the lakers let's say who at that point is even more desperate for davis and so effectively they get a run with ad and maybe they even get back a similar or superior return in a few months I mean, we would call that the party crashing scenario, right? And uh, if, if fans of chaos should be rooting for that, can't we agree? I mean, like the the clean well, yeah, like ima- is- imagine that with with the Raptors. So, like, let's imagine the Raptors go after it. They get AD. They make the NBA Finals this year, and then whatever happens with with Kawhi happens but AD you know you you don't think he's going to stick around or something like that well actually them trading with Boston would open up a whole another Pandora's box but let's say that at that point the Lakers could they theoretically if it waits until July they can sign somebody with space and then send over 
assets for AD to put him on top, and so it won't take up cap space. So you could see that offer actually looking a little bit better. They're the only team that I think could really improve their offer this year because of the financial flexibility it would give them. So maybe a team like Toronto or even Denver would be interesting here, though I think Denver has a they have a good talent mix right now. So like they're they're not looking to restructure their roster. But you could see a team do that. They say, hey, we really like Jason Tatum. We really like player X that could be on the table in an AD trade. Let's just do that. Like like that the idea that the downside risk of a heavy return is not as high. Hey, point blank, do you think he gets moved before the deadline or do you think they wait? I have it over 50% that he gets moved right now, but not uh, not a ton over 50%. I mean, we're seeing a lot of a lot of movement and what the Pelicans have to be concerned about is that the offers only one offer is going to get substantially better. And that's a lot of risk. And remember, Boston has so many different permutations and they also have I mean, obviously Jason Tatum is great. But they have fewer high-end assets collectively than they did before. You know, like the Memphis pick will be a good pick, but it's probably not going to be a top five pick because it might convey earlier than that something else. The Sacramento selection, which we all thought, you know, oh my God, that's the holy grail. Even though it can't be number one, it could be really good. Well, the Kings are still over 500. So (laughs) that's not going to be as good of an asset as before. The Clippers pick, we're going to have to see. That might even become second rounders, depending, or it might become a, you know, a mid-middle first next year. So they still have Jalen Brown. They still have a lot of really good players and all that. But let's say Boston, you know, they're making these promises to try to get AD to to not be traded during this time that they go, you know, Jason Tatum was huge in our playoff run. Maybe they made the NBA finals. AD says he doesn't want to come back. We'll still, we'll send you Jalen Brown. We'll send you some of these other picks. And then the Pelicans are going, well, crap, like that's a significantly worse offer than we thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, if I was Anthony Davis, uh, I wouldn't want to go to a Boston team that didn't have Jason Tatum. You know, like if the return package has to include Tatum to kind of get that done. Uh, now I'm looking at a future with Hayward's contract on the books. You know, obviously Davis is trying to get paid. Kyrie is going to have a huge contract as well. Uh, the Horford thing is going to have to be sorted out. Like, I'm not sure how good that team, their long-term, you know, bright future is if they don't have Tatum. And so that would make me a little bit hesitant. And then if you're not including Tatum, is Boston's package going to be better than what the Lakers can offer? I think that's a real open question and kind of a matter of interpretation on which, which of those young guys you like the best. Um, I don't love any of the Lakers young prospects. I'm not sure I see an all-star in the bunch. Uh, but if your return package is headlined by Jalen Brown, and that that's not getting me that excited if I'm uh, if I'm New Orleans either. So again, the value of of proactively doing this and having definition for what your franchise is going to do, rather than waiting and like kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that Tatum gets involved in the package. Uh, you know, that's not a sure bet, you know, and especially if you're a GM where your job is on the line, I think that's the other X factor we should mention too, right? Like Dell's got to be feeling the hot seat based on how this season has gone for them. Do you just not trade Anthony Davis because uh, you're trying to be in self-preservation mode? Do you do it because it's the best thing for the organization? Uh, I think that's a huge X factor where again, outsiders, we're not going to be able to read that. So I, you, you kind of got to it there, but just to end this segment, I'll ask you the same question you asked me. Do you think it's more likely than not that he gets moved in the next nine days? I'm having a really hard time handicapping it. I think they should move him. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about that. If I were them, 
and I got a decent offer from the Lakers, I would take it and just move forward. Uh, but I think the uncertainty about Dell's job status, the fact that the, the trade request came kind of so late in the game, the fact that Boston's not there, the fact that I think the Lakers are really trying to scare off a lot of other people in this market, it does make me wonder whether they're going to be able to get something done. Um, my hope is that they do for all parties, especially for AD. I think the best thing that can happen for him um, is that this just gets sorted and he gets to play for, you know, a conference championship or a finals appearance this season. I think that would be uh, the best case scenario for all involved. Before we move on, a message from our friends at TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then, answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you are finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. True cash offer not available in all states. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. There are a few other big storylines around the league that we should talk about. And the, the place I'll start, we won't spend nearly as much time on this as the AD thing, is the reporting, The it's not even necessarily reporting, it seems like they've been pretty candid about it, that Memphis is finally considering moving Mike Connolly and Mark Soule. Now, considering it and doing it are two very, very different things. But I think it's good that they're finally getting to the place where they understand that this has a this has an expiration date. That expiration date has likely already passed, before, even before their 25-point collapse at home against the Nuggets last night. And it will depend on the offers, and there's a, a very good argument to be made that Memphis will be overly conservative, that they will that they will basically only take a really high offer. But, I mean, we, we know where this story is, is going, whether it happens now or it happens later. Well, related to the AD thing, I felt like trying to get the desperate Pelicans to make one final pitch to keep AD by trading for Mike Conley uh, was almost like a best case scenario uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Where uh, you get this team that's like almost in Cavaliers mode from last year where they're trying to build around uh, LeBron and they're willing to you know wheel and deal and maybe take on some future salary because they're feeling the short-term pressure. The fact that this trade demand uh, has basically converted the Pelicans 
from potential buyers to most likely sellers, I think really hurts the Grizzlies position in terms of trading one or both of these guys, because you need somebody who's willing to assume some risk by taking on Conley's contract or by taking on the Gasol situation, knowing that he'll probably opt in next season. So uh, I do feel bad for Memphis on that front. If I were them, uh, my dream destination for Conley trade is, is Utah. I think Utah could use another ball handler, use another creator, uh, use an upgrade at the point guard position and the fit stylistically in terms of how Utah wants to play around uh, Gobert is pretty similar to uh, how Conley's been playing for basically his entire career. So I would love to see that happen. Uh, I'm wondering, though, do you see any value in Memphis treating uh, Mark sort of like their version of Dirk? where you keep him around just kind of for goodwill because of like the memories of, of better days in the past. You have him mentoring and setting the culture uh, for a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. And rather than just sort of liquidating him for whatever you can get, because I don't think Gasol has got much of a trade market right now. And so I guess if I'm handicapping Memphis's situation, I think it's more likely that Conley gets traded than Gasol, because I think the the offers are going to be substantially better and there's going to be more teams interested in his services. And I think it actually might be the best case scenario for Memphis to go forward by trading Mike and keeping Mark. Mark's situation, I think, more is going to depend on what kind of offers they get. And I think the difference between Gasol and Dirk is that, first of all, Dirk had more equity with the Mavs. They won a championship. He won an MVP. And also because I think in the, it kind of timed out well with Dirk, where over the last two or three years, he's had a little bit less to offer. Some of that's due to injuries and all that. And he was willing to take less money. My feeling, my read on the situation is that Marcus Gasol thinks he still has plenty to offer. And maybe he would like to compete a little bit more. So it might be that you, that the idea of keeping Gasol, especially if the offers are more tepid because nobody really needs centers right now, that if that you could kind of lead yourself in that direction. But Gasol can just go, I don't want to be here. I want to do something else for the next couple of years and take that situation out. Now, the possibility of that is exactly why Memphis might end up holding on to him because there's no reason to take a, let's call it a negative value offer if he might opt out and leave in a few months. Yeah, and I, I'm really struggling to see who would want Gasol right now. I don't think he's a guy, if you're on the playoff bubble or you're a playoff team, I don't think he really uh, enhances your forecast that much. I don't think defensively in the postseason he's going to be a guy where you're really you know, trusting him to kind of be that lockdown guy. I understand maybe he can play more engaged basketball than he has over the last couple of seasons, but uh, I'd be, uh, you know, a little bit nervous there. And if you're a lottery team, there's no, there's no point, right? Like, you know, why, why bother? So uh, I think they're going to have a hard time finding anyone interested in just kind of taking on that experience. My favorite fake trade for Marcus Saldo, and I've run this by some other people. I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. What if you trade him for his brother again <laughs> and he goes to San Antonio, gets to, uh, extend his career there, and Powell gets to have the hope coming in Memphis. What do you think? I like it from a couple of perspectives. One, San Antonio has a well-worn tradition of knowing how to use and using traditional centers. You know, they've obviously given LaMarcus plenty of time there over the past and Mark's contract isn't really prohibitive for them. San Antonio is really on this kind of two-year path at minimum with De DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. So 
it doesn't really hurt their flexibility. You know, they can go in that direction. And Pal in Memphis helps them for a couple reasons. One, he only has a light partial guarantee for next year. They could either keep him or dump him, depending on where their incentives lie. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm on board with that as being potentially a positive value situation for both sides. It, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, really for Mark, what you're looking for, I call this the Serge Ibaka situation, not referring to Serge Ibaka's trade to Toronto, but his trade to Orlando, where what you're relying on is a team overvaluing the player that you have and just giving you a, a reckless offer. And that could happen. I don't expect it because the center supply is so deep, but that really has to be what Memphis is hoping for here because... Because as you said, if teams are behaving rationally, especially those on the playoff fringe, there really isn't a market for Marcus Hall. Yeah, and that's sad. I mean, I, I don't like to say that, but I think that's that's unfortunately sort of where he's gotten at this point of his career. And, um, you know, we can go back to how the whole you know coaching change was executed in Memphis in the past. I mean, I think he lost some real points around the league based on sort of how he handled that and how things you know played out in the aftermath and all that. We completely understand his frustration with what that franchise has gone through these last couple of years. Um, and he had some really nice moments earlier in this season where his advanced stats were looking awesome. Memphis was playing really well. Uh, but as these seasons unfold, it, it's kind of the same story year after year. You know, Gasol starts to wear down. Conley wears down. Uh, and they're just not able to sustain it. And that would make me that would freak me out. You know, if I was anybody besides an organization that was like tons of stability and an understanding of how to manage minutes and kind of put people in in situations to succeed like a San Antonio, I would just wonder, can I even count on Marcus Gasol uh, come April uh, and possibly May? And is he going to be a difference maker in those situations? And I would that would hold me back from wanting to take on not only his contract this year, which is pretty big, but also, you know, the possibility that he opts in next year and, and kind of puts you behind the eight ball. Something else we should discuss briefly is the Warriors have gone on this big run, but also something on the Warriors front related to somebody else who's been in the, the foreground of the other stuff we've talked about in this podcast. You actually talked to Magic Johnson a little bit about the Warriors, which I found interesting. I did. So I did an interview with Magic where the whole concept was talking about team building and just the the, the role the teams have played throughout his life. And he was going on memory lane and uh, you know, talking about coming up with the Michigan State Spartans and uh, even Everett High School and, and kind of going through all of it. Uh, but I think one of his big headlines from the whole conversation was how firmly he believes Golden State has, you know, yet to sort of enter this dynasty conversation. He's, you know, he kept going back to the Showtime Lakers, to Jordan's Bulls in terms of how many titles they've had how many finals appearances they have. And and one other one that I looked up was how many 60-win seasons they had. I mean, those Lakers actually had six different seasons with 60-plus wins. You know, obviously, Golden State's had three, and, you know, potentially maybe they can get to four um, you know, this season. We'll see. But uh, kind of just taking the zoom-back approach, and, and his, his line was, look, Golden State hasn't dominated for a decade yet, so they're not on the Showtime Lakers level. I mean, pretty pointed words from him. Uh, I'm wondering, what's your reaction to that? And does this feel like maybe the wrong time to dare the Warriors to stick together, right? Like, I mean, are you poking the bear a little bit by saying, hey, look, you haven't dominated for a decade? Because if, if they keep the band together this summer, uh, what's stopping them? You know, I still have not seen a, a real threat to them. When you look at how they're playing with Cousins, um, I mean, it's it's a different level. It's a dream team. It's an all-star team. I mean, it, it really, what it was supposed to be on paper uh, is what's manifesting on the court. Uh, their body language, their energy seems better uh, since, you know, bringing him back. And, you know, I just wonder, you know, is is this the right moment to uh, to be uh, you know, poking the bear? 
I'm not as concerned about Magic poking the bear because the Warriors are going to try to win a championship either way, though it is interesting because two of the players on the current Warriors team, and you could argue three with DeMarcus Cousins, depending on what the structure of the Lakers summer is, could be interested in the Lakers this year. And so (laughs) downplaying their accomplishments doesn't exactly inspire goodwill, I would guess, especially in Clay, because he's been there for the whole damn thing. You know, I I think that, but I also don't think it's going to matter to Clay. I think he's going to sit there and go, that's the reason I'm not signing with the Lakers. As he said, the the Showtime Lakers were better than us or something like that. But I I like the point that you're getting at, which is we don't know where this Warriors story goes. And if Magic is going to define terms on sustained brilliance, first of all, to me, that's not necessarily what a dynasty is. I think winning three and four years is a dynasty. If you wanted to make some sort of like mega dynasty or like a reign or some, some other distinction for a five plus six plus year just domination sure you can do that and the Warriors have not accomplished that yet but if we're talking three to four year runs this is up there and and who knows where it's going to go from here but just to be clear I I agree I think this is a dynasty Golden State's already secured it I thought the third title did that you know three and four and four and and five three and four is unambiguously a dynasty because three and four that means you have to have won back to back and something else yeah, and, and you throw on top 67, 73, 67. I mean, that, you know, that, was that the best three year span in NBA history? I think that underscores it too. But I think his point is like, you know, there is an argument the other way. You know, if you're making nine finals appearances, winning five titles, having six 60 win seasons, does Golden State still have some steps it needs to climb? Uh, what do you think? Because we get caught up in the moment. And I think that's why his perspective here is interesting because when you're in the middle of it, um, and they're playing, you know, the most efficient offensive basketball we've ever seen, they're breaking every record, they're setting wins records. It's very easy to say like, okay, well, um, you know, this team stacks up with anybody. And what what he's saying basically is, you know, count the rings essentially, but, you know, also count some of the other longevity, uh, you know, checkpoints and essentially challenging the Warriors that you've got to keep this going if you want to really be in this conversation. There is fluidity there. I think that obviously a win this year would change it because four and five, I think, is, is, a, is another lamppost. And that would push them. I think they're already, which is shocking to say, past the, the LeBron, the, the Miami thrice you know that those yep. teams but the, right now if it let's say it ends this year especially if it ends without a title then they're kind of more in that camp of a really good team that was temporary and that's different it, it I, that doesn't mean they're worse than the showtime lakers or the jordan bulls it just means they're different and longevity you know there is a value to that that especially when with the changeovers that happen that are necessitated by like you can look at the differences yes jordan and pippen were still there but the differences between the first Bulls three-peat in the second one. You know, like, there's unnecessary longevity when you have a seven, eight-year window because you can't keep the same players and be that great. So, yeah, I think I think there is something to be said there about where it can – what that is, and, and that, that it's a testament to team building, you know, the front offices of those organizations and their star players and, and everything else. So, yeah, I, I think there's validity there, but it gets into – something that really bothers me, typically with former players, but it can be fans or whatever, of defining success in the way that most benefits you or your legacy. You know, the idea that, oh, well, the best teams are the teams that do it for seven years because our team did it for seven years. And I mean, a point of this that is, it's, I think needs to be discussed is 
the Warriors now, with DeMarcus Cousins this year, have two different iterations that could be argued not as the best, but argued as the most talented team in NBA history. That 2016-17 team, Durant's first year, before some of these guys started aging, and now they added another all-star. Cousins is still working his way back, all that kind of stuff. And that is something special. You know, it's a little bit different from those Showtime Lakers and those Bulls and all that. And you could talk about moving guys in eras. But in terms of just talent, even with a shaky bench this year, these are two of the strongest teams that have ever been assembled. Yeah. And like going back to like the offensive efficiencies, right? Because I think that's one thing that Showtime Lakers always had is like, hey, we had this offense that was just like unmatched. In this year's Warriors, last time I checked, we're blowing away the all-time record for offensive efficiency that they had matched with that Showtime Lakers team in 2016-17. So uh, they're just getting themselves into very rarefied air consistently. You know, with that top 10 offenses of all time, there's going to be like four different Warriors teams from these these years in that grouping, and that's a huge stamp to leave. So uh, I, I just thought it was a, an interesting conversation. Magic's competitive spirit has not waned in the slightest <laughs> since he's taken this job with Lakers. If anything, I think it's he got even more kind of sharp elbowed and cutthroat. I mean, we can see it with how they're pursuing, you know, Anthony Davis and, and these other superstars, you know, over the last 12 months. Uh, I mean, he is reinvigorated. If he, if he ever lost, lost it, which I doubt he did, I think it's just up another notch. And right now, Golden State's the target. So I think, you know, he, he's happy to put the kind of X on their back and, you know, hopefully, rekindle a rivalry here or, or start a rival really for the first time, uh, you know, taking it to that next level between these two California franchises. The last thing we want to discuss, and uh, God, it's so, it's so interesting to talk about Magic's place and all of these type of things. However, he was never a, a factor in the last thing we want to discuss, which is the three-point contest. That was, that was <laughs> not a Magic Johnson forte. And I think basically... Well, what I find found interesting about this is that you and I are both, you know, I, I think we're both kind of, you call it more loyalist, traditionalist or whatever. With the slam dunk contest, I'm fine with some innovation, but I think that the general concept is they're pretty close on it. But that since, because it is more flawed and, and more imperfect, the three-point contest actually has more room for modification or improvement. Absolutely. So this is my new pet issue, Danny. I'm hoping you can get behind me on this. Um, like you said, the dunk contest, I'm fine if the mascots are out there on hoverboards. I just don't want, you know, the, the team format or the freestyle round that they had. Just simple two rounds, you know, dunks grading on the, on the six to 10 scale. Like it's always been, let the players showcase their flair, their creativity, and then we, we judge it. Um, to me, that's the simplest way to do it. It's always produced the best dunk contest. Don't mess with it. But I think the problem with the three-point contest is that it's so anachronistic. Like, if you go back to when it first started in 1986, Larry Bird is averaging, what, like two or three three-point attempts a game? Um, there, We don't have access to his pregame routine. We don't really have a lot of video access to him, period. There's no social media. So this idea of Larry Bird going around and shooting 25 three-pointers from five different spots on the court, it's kind of incredible. Like, if you're a basketball diehard, you're like, yes, I want to watch Larry Bird do this. This money ball idea of like being worth two points. Fantastic. Like sign me up. This is so great. The problem is fast forward 30 plus years. Steph Curry puts on a better show before every single game than the actual three point contest. I mean, when you watch him do his warm up and people do because it gets live streamed everywhere every single game. If he's shooting off one leg, he's going the wrong direction. He's heading the basketball into the air like he's a soccer player spinning around doing a 360 you know, hitting these fall away shots. He's going out to the logo. He's shooting from the tunnel, right? 
it, the degree of difficulty is so much higher uh, and the access to what Steph is doing, you know, this best shooter of his generation is doing is so much greater that by the time you put him into the, the three point contest, it almost reminds me of like, you know, running the Indy 500, you know, with Toyota Priuses or having the Olympic uh, figure skating. But now we're just judging who can do the most single axles in a minute, right? Like it totally defeats the point. Uh, it uh, limits the creativity of what the guys are able to do. Uh, and it doesn't really show them uh, what they're capable of doing in terms of the distance uh, and in terms of the off the dribble stuff that has really defined this current generation. So my proposal to fix the three point contest, it's pretty simple. First of all, the players, uh, the, the court should be set up into a three point section, a four point section behind it, and then a five point section out near uh, mid court, uh, you know, where, where Steph likes to do those logo bombs. The players should be able to, so that's step one. Step two is the players should be able to put the ball racks wherever they want within those sections, right? To just try to maximize their points. So as viewers, we would be able to watch this almost like it's a routine, like a figure skating routine or a, uh, a gymnastics routine. And we're saying, okay, who has like the faith to, to take the hard shots? Who's willing to kind of, you know, stretch their legs and not just do the, the simple three pointers, right? Uh, and then it would become this whole like strategic, uh, you know, comparison of like, how do guys approach it? Who's trying to have the highest possible point totals? And that would become its own debate as the thing is unfolding, right? Uh, and then the, the third step, once you free them from the, uh, the simple strictures of shooting around the three point line and you allow them to kind of shoot where they want to, would be to add bonus points for, for shooting off the dribble. If we look at what Harden's done this year in terms of the step back shot, you know, that's a revolutionary shot. He's catching all this, uh, heat, uh, from critics who are saying kind of his style and isolation is bad for basketball, much like Curry did a few years ago when, you know, Mark Jackson was saying, Hey, look, kids, don't shoot these moon ball shots like Steph because there's only one Steph Curry. You need to fill out the rest of your game. Anytime you're getting that type of pushback, that says you've created sort of a revolution to the sport. And I think if we're having a contest that celebrates the shot, it needs to reflect that revolution. So my third step would be adding bonus points for shots that are made off the dribble. You know, maybe if you go two dribbles, you get another extra bonus point. However, you would do it. So that way we can get these stars like Curry, you know, taking these shots off the dribble from, you know, 35 feet. He can hit those. It would be so much more entertaining to watch him do that uh, for a minute or 90 seconds, whatever it might be, than it would be to watch this same old routine cookie cutter three point contest. I would love to see Curry and, and Harden going head to head. I'd love to see Dirk, you know, shooting his one legged shots, uh, maybe off the dribble from the four point zone. I just think it would be a much more entertaining and diverse show and it would reflect you know where we are in 2019 in terms of the state of the game i am a hundred percent on board with the first two ideas i think players being able to have more authority in terms of where the racks are especially if you combine that with additional point totals you know you could do from the logo you could do a bunch of different things would it be fascinating to see what guys chose and so that would bring in another element to it and it's not like there's so much history packed into the elements of the three-point contest, like Devin Booker set the record for, for points last year. Yeah, that's fine. That's a cool record. I'm happy that he has it. But you don't remember that. It's not, you know, 60 home runs or any any number of NBA records. So exactly. Have- let, me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. If Steph Curry had a perfect run, 25 for 25, around the, around the current format, the format they've been using for years, would you rather watch that or would you rather see him hit – 
four moon balls from midcourt. You know, what's more entertaining? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I would I would say the latter. Is, and, and it's also fun because you get to see what the players choose. And you talked about the idea of prep. Imagine what these guys would end up doing for that. I mean, it'd be, it'd be hilarious. But I want to I want to talk a little bit. You brought up Larry Bird. This is uh, this is an, uh, an amazing stat that I, I hadn't ever really put this together as much as I have right now. But it's really interesting. There are 171 NBA players this season that have played a thousand or more minutes so far. Of that 171, 143 have taken more three pointers <laughs> per hundred possessions than Larry Bird did in the 1985-86 season. Incredible. His three point attempt rate per hundred possessions is tied with Julius Randle. Like that—that's where this is now. I mean, so I mean, yeah, it was prehistoric, and like the, the contest when you're designing it in a prehistoric era is going to look prehistoric. I mean, that's just a fact. Another stat for you is Steph Curry needed 30 games this year to make more three-pointers than the entire Dallas Mavericks team made in 1985-86 to to lead the league in in made three-pointers, right? So, again, we're just comparing apples to oranges, and the idea that we wouldn't update this contest as we're going through the heart of the three-point revolution, to me, it's like mind-blowing. It seems like we're going to do this in the next five years, and then we're going to look back and be like, what took so long? Why did we wait on this? Yep, absolutely. Uh, Is there anything else you want to discuss? Um, No, that's pretty much it, Danny. Thanks for the convo. Uh, I'm glad you're on board. Let's try to make this a movement. Maybe the real GM listeners can, uh, you know, once they announce the field officially, they can maybe uh, tag the NBA, let them know, hey, it's time for an update. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do it. Thanks again to Ben Golliver for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at the Washington Post. You can listen to the Open Four podcast that he is thankfully still doing with Andrew Sharp. And you can follow him on Twitter at B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Loved having Ben on. If you want to hear more of my thoughts about the trade deadline, Dunked On will probably be the primary source for that. That is, of course, the podcast to do with Nate Duncan. We just released the first segment. The second part will be out around when you listen to this of the mock trade deadline podcast. That is Nate, Kevin Pelton of ESPN, Dan Feldman of NBC, and myself doing our representation of what the deadline might look like. We each take seven or eight teams and go through it was a lot of fun to do. Whole thing is recorded, but then it's, of course, being brought out in parts. And I don't know exactly where Real Jam Radio is going to go next week. I might save the trade deadline analysis for Dunked On. It might not. Depends on who's inter- who I can get as a guest and the timing and everything else like that. We'll see where that goes. As always, feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, best place is NBA at gmail.com. I'm continuing the lighter edit, let's call it. Uh, That was suggested in emails before. I really do value that. Saves me a bunch of time. If you have a different opinion, feel free to share that. I consider all input. You take the time to write it. I will take the time to read it. Not always the best responding because my time is valuable, but if it pops in my inbox, I make sure to read it really usually before that day's activities or whatever. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways that you can do so. You can subscribe, download every episode. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. And if you want to be super awesome, if it's not, you can do both. You're still allowed to write reviews in Apple Podcasts. You listen to the show. It's not any sort of problem. I really do appreciate that. And also just word of mouth saying, hey, this episode, this podcast is something you might like. That could be in person. It could be social media, whatever you feel so inclined to do. All of that is much appreciated. The single most important part for this show and any other one that has sponsors is to check out our sponsors betonline.ag use that podcast one promo code for a 50 percent sign up bonus and true car great place to buy new and used cars and as you heard in the read 
sell or trade in your car. You can check all that out. As I said a little bit ago, I, the, the episode, we do one every week. I don't have a real specific plan yet for next week because the trade deadline shapes so much and I try to make Real Jam Radio a little bit more evergreen. So we'll see. I, I will, of course, figure it out. We will have a new episode. That's why it's good to subscribe because it'll pop in. We do all that kind of stuff. And you can check out Dunked On. I will have written analysis at The Athletic did a Anthony Davis trade breakdown, FAQ, Q&A, whatever you want to use for that. That is already up and we'll have more on things as they happen. And if you want to check out, Nate and I are doing the NBA cast, which is our live alternate announcing. We're doing that on Tuesday, the 29th, for those of you who listen to this really quickly. And we, you can the public schedule and all that kind of stuff. You can check that out as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.